Hello, and welcome to the Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way of doing business. We believe beautiful businesses are led with purpose by people who care, guided by a clear strategy, and soulfully grow. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Beautiful Business Podcast. My name is Ewan Sai, and in this episode, I got the chance to speak with Tom Hardcastle. Tom is a senior partner at a social enterprise 90, who are innovation experts in the insurance sector. Their clients include Bupa, Direct Line, Generali, Lloyds, and Zurich. 90% of their distributable profits go to charity. Tom has a strong background in financial services, fulfilling strategy, change, operational, and PL roles, as well as playing a leading role in the transformation of co-op insurance as part of the executive team. He holds a master's from the University of St. Andrews and an MBA from Manchester Business School. 90 believe insurance is fundamentally a force for social good. They also believe in the power of innovation and customer-centered change. Their vision is to help insurers innovate and thrive so that they are well-equipped to serve and stabilize a fast-changing world. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So let's start with thinking about purpose and thinking about impact. I know that 90 donates like 90% of your distributable profits to good causes. 10% obviously comes back to the rest of the team within the business, if that's right. That's a pretty serious number. You know, those are pretty eye-opening numbers. And I'm really interested to hear how you ensure that level of funds creates the most impact as possible. Because that's a big undertaking by you, by your team, by your shareholders to put that amount of you know, value that they create back into good causes. And so how do you measure it? How do you make sure it's creating the most impact? Yeah, sure. So the way we are structured, there is a foundation called the 90 Foundation, which sits alongside the business. So my day-to-day activities and most of the team is actually about generating that profit through the work that we do with insurance companies to help them innovate and thrive. Increasingly, we may come back to this, part of what we're doing directly is looking to move into spaces that can benefit more people and those that might have needs that haven't been met to date. But in terms of how we deal with the 90% piece, the 90 Foundation oversees the charities and partners that we donate to, and their role is to screen potential candidates for the profits to be distributed to. And we have particular themes all around self-help rather than donations for donations' sake, and particularly around education, health, sanitation. So we've got some themes then that we focus on for the donations. We have a foundation that then oversees the relationships with those charities. And then what we look to do is measure, in particular, impact as a result of that funding. And impact for us means lives that have been impacted positively, whether it's number of school children that now have access to reading materials and books so that they can have a fulfilling education, or whether it's helping to fund a maternity ward or a hospital, as we've done outside of Nairobi in Kenya, and understanding how many lives have we been able to support there. So the hard, if you like, cold numbers in terms of currency numbers that we donate are important in one sense. But for us, far more important is to turn that into the number of people and lives that we can impact. That's really interesting because we've had a number of really interesting discussions with different people that work in this space or certainly work within that kind of impact space. And one of the common themes that will be coming out of is around that you know, looking beyond just those cold, hard metrics, as you kind of put it, and not just looking at, you know, the pound signs and looking at, you know, what kind of impact that investment actually has. So with the foundation, how deep does it 
go when you're talking with you know different partners and looking at it. Talk us through that kind of relationship. Talk us through that measurement piece and how you see it. I guess there'll be a stage where you're almost planning or forecasting what kind of impact it can have. And that would perhaps come out with some of those softer metrics, those intangibles perhaps. And then I guess it goes into the delivery part and actually measuring those and recording those. So talk us through that process. Yeah. So part of what we do, and I should have said this up front actually, is alongside the Mountie Foundation having, the, if you like, the ultimate say on which of those charities and other partners we will donate to, we engage both our colleagues and also the clients that we work with when it comes to identifying either particular themes or particular organizations to work with. And so we go through a process each year So we run a calendar year. And as we come to the end of each year, we understand, well, what are our distributable profits for this year? And what we also do is engage with those clients that we've worked with over the previous 12 months to say, you know, you've been one of our clients this year. You know, the model we have is 90. Here's a shortlisted or if you like filtered or approved list of potential charity partners that we can work with and donate to directly from the profits that we've created from working with yourselves. And so in that way, we involve clients in particular themes or topics that might be pertinent to them, either personally for those sponsors that we're working with or their organizations more broadly, and to bring it to life. So for instance, we've worked with health insurers like Booper. What we tend to do there is link directly with particular health projects because there is a very nice narrative and a circularity around that, for example. And then our colleagues are also involved in the process as well. So at any point in the year, they can nominate charities or partners that they think might be interesting and fit with some of those macro themes that we've talked about. And then it's the role of the foundation to then take all of that, identify that list for the current year and any new entrants, as well as actually some of the relationships that we wanted to maintain into the medium term, where we're actually building on donations made in previous years as well. That's really interesting. There's also this piece, I think, around building a mandate to do this type of work yeah. and this inclusion of your clients and of your team and team members and people within the organization as well. Because I guess with that piece that 90% of the distributed profits are, are going outside, as it were, having that level of engagement is, must be really important. But I imagine certainly on an internal perspective, but from that external perspective, those clients, those partners are involved. I'm, I imagine that it only strengthens those relationships. It builds that engagement. And again, it's really interesting. You mentioned Boop was one of those things around the initiatives that they get involved in around health. And it seems to me like one of those examples where by doing the right thing, the commercial value manifests anyway, almost as a byproduct by Boop supporting these initiatives, by being seen there, by doing the right thing, they will build customer trust. They will build loyalty. They will build more business. Do you find that's the case? Yeah. So... I think we definitely believe that the reason clients engage us in the first instance is because, well, we hope is because of the quality of work that we do and the impact that it can have for them, usually you know, from a commercial perspective or from a capability perspective. But what we also find is that these organizations, if they're looking at us and some you know, potential competitors for feast of work, hearing that we are 90 and the model that we have as a social enterprise, a community interest company, then if we're on par with others, this can be the thing that can help to sway the decision. And what we find is more than that, actually, the strength of relationships and the repeatability of work and engagements comes off the back of quality delivery, yes, but also this point about where those profits have gone. And so for client sponsors that have been through that process you know, once, twice more, that just really helps to cement and firm that relationship up even further 
And perhaps there's something about because they can directly see that happening and they play a part in the process. They're realizing this isn't some kind of greenwash or social wash that we've put across what we do, that it is genuine and that we will update them on the impact that, that is having. That must be a much requested part, I suppose, of the partnerships is having the reporting, having the impact, the measurements of the impact report back to them from a client's perspective. So that not only, I guess, it's not just that feel good factor, oh, we've helped open up more schools or these different return towards around the world, but actual CSR reporting. Are you finding that's coming through more from clients? Is that a, a key differentiator for you? As you say, if your delivery is on a par, then does that add to, I suppose, the value that you create for your clients? Yeah. So there's certain clients think of Zurich as one who their procurement strategy is actually to have a certain proportion of the partners that they work with come from a social enterprise or other type of construct, which is part of their broader CSR agenda. So that's actually engaging the type of organizations that they look to partner with. And so we're more than happy to help them fulfill their quotes there. I think what's still maturing and growing then is some of that ongoing reporting. We are as an organization and the foundation is as well but also understanding what 90 is about and then that growing interest and perhaps over time clamour then to actually get more detailed or more specific updates on where that impact is at and the benefits that that's had. But it's certainly something which can be seen as added value in the broader service of what we provide. We also, and this is back to the colleagues, partner each of our colleagues with a particular charity partner that the foundation has. So as well as bringing clients closer to the experience, each of us across the team has a charity partner that we look to engage with at a slightly deeper level. And then we can bring those updates both to internal 90 sessions, but also update clients. And when we're working with them on particular projects, we can go into a bit more detail on that as well. That's a helpful way of doing some twinning there and making it more personal than perhaps it otherwise might be. That kind of brings us into the next question. So as we're having somebody working really closely with your charity partners, it sounds like there's just a real strengthening of that relationship there. There's good kind of transparency. There's good kind of visibility, I suppose, within that organization as well, which can only come about if you do have that, I suppose, accountability on a colleague level to know that this is my charity partner or this is the charity partner I'm working with and really get to know them, really get to understand them. Because that, I guess, will enable you as a team to leverage that impact, you know, where I suppose, again, it comes back to that piece that we said right up at the top there, just putting, you know, a pound sign followed by some numbers doesn't really give you the whole story. And also it, it becomes quite limited by itself. Whereas if you know that you can bring in, you know, certain expertise or, or certain skills to apply to a certain area of need, then it becomes all the more powerful. So what kind of leveraging of this sort have you seen through 90 that creates a greater level of impact? Yeah, so we've seen, certainly from a communication and engagement perspective, a couple of things that we do. The first is that we hold impact teas, so very uh, British afternoon tea. And this is for colleagues. We'd started actually when the first lockdown hit. And the intention with that then is that we can come together with one of the charity partners and we can have both an introduction from one of our colleagues to this charity partner, but then we also hear firsthand about the impact. So that's a great way for colleagues to hear with real life stories about what the efforts each day that we're doing as 90 can have a direct impact, not just on our clients, but on a whole wider part of society. And the other thing that we do or used to do, they're coming back, are having impact dinners for clients where we would bring together, say, a dozen clients, and it often included some potential clients. And a charity partner, and over the course of an evening over dinner, here's some of the stories to really bring to life some of the impact 
that our work with these charity partners is having and also enable just broader conversation across the table, say between clients and some of our 90 colleagues and the charity partner, which just goes a bit deeper than perhaps sending out a report or a newsletter on this topic. So we found that, you know, it's in the title, but very impactful in and of itself as well. I guess it comes back to that human connection in many senses, I suppose. Obviously, I haven't been to any of these impact or impact dinners, but it says to me a lot that in order to articulate the impact that you're having and really to inspire others, it's, it's having those human stories um, and having and those stories told. And as you say, I think the challenge you have with reports is it can often be very two-dimensional, you know, quite flat. And so often it is around the human story element that kind of comes through, it's how it's being communicated. And do you find that with these impact teas and also with, with these dinners as well, do you find that there's a, a propagation of ideas of, you know, of inspiration of ideas, if you like? Because I, I imagine in those types of yeah. environments, that's where you're going to get the little spark of something that maybe didn't work over there, but it could work really well over here, so on and so forth. Yeah, so absolutely, both at a colleague level and a, a client level. And it, I suppose it does lead into one of the themes that I've mentioned earlier on, which is increasingly as 90, we're looking to support those unmet needs or those new risks that are emerging in the market. So whether that be micro insurance for those that currently don't have a level of cover in the developing world for everyday things that perhaps those in Western society have ready access to. Those types of things are being sparked and create an even better circularity of, if you like, ultimate purpose of 90, but also us helping to support the risk industry to better identify and manage new risks. In the Western world, we talk about this protection gap. It's a very small sliver compared to a global view, but actually the protection gap globally for those in developing countries is so much more significant. And at the moment, there aren't the range of products and services developed to support that. So those are areas that we're looking to develop solutions for. So where it might be microinsurance in the health space, for example, and to give better access to health and care and for those that can't afford this in that space, or refugees and migrants where economic migrants and some of the challenges about having some of the right cover and support in place for them as they look to engage economically in the new communities they're part of. These are now live projects for us, working with insurance partners and others. And it starts to get us closer to the end desires of 90, you know, which is ultimately to help to alleviate global poverty and to do it in a very direct way with the work that we do, as well as our giving through the foundation. That's really cool, Tom, and really inspirational. If I hear you right, I like that, you know, that protection gap. I think it's an analogy that you use a lot. There's opportunity gaps, you know, mm. and, and, mm. and one thing that, try my best to remind myself of is just how privileged we are to work in the economy that we work in, in the country that we work in, with the environment and the protections that we have. Starting with the business in the UK, particularly, relatively straightforward. You can give it a go. There's help and the support and the things like that are out there. I imagine that starting your business in other parts of the world might be you know, infinitely more challenging. And there are further barriers put in the way of doing that and through things like a lack of insurance or products and insurance. So it's really just that 30 seconds of us chatting has really changed my perception of the insurance industries in terms of what they are there for, because they really could be an enabler. It could very much be the way of empowering change around the world. I guess it's linked into, you, you mentioned that whole kind of like the, the, the Western side of things, but it is building or bridging that gap between the circumstances for entrepreneurship, for education, for healthcare, and that disparity between you know, different cultures, different parts of the world. Absolutely. And we certainly as 90 companies from that perspective, I would say that some clients, you know, some insurance partners do and other partners 
some are actually looking at the self-interest in it. And we don't necessarily see that's a bad thing because if they bring their expertise to the table, and in particular, if they can bring a way to commercialize these opportunities, then we see that that can be enduring and sustainable rather than this is something that is not commercial and will you know fall over after 12, 18 months, two years. So we recognize what we look to do is bring the right stakeholders together. We recognize there might be some different motivating factors. Ultimately, if we can steer it in the direction which is about meeting those you know, serious unmet needs, then we see that as a positive. And the fact, as I say, it can be commercially enduring and actually opens up new markets or markets that are not yet mature alongside Western markets, which increasingly are facing aging populations, declining overall population size, then actually articulating this to partners is actually there's new vibrant markets here that need support and help. Let's see what we can do in those spaces. Then just a level of reframing actually helps to point to the opportunity there. Ironically, because we're talking about insurance, which is naturally, I suppose, kind of risk averse, it is about almost opening up some eyes on the opportunities that exist further afield, which are which are different, which are new, and outside of comfort zones, I suppose. And often the way to, I suppose, get people's imagination and get people buying is through that commercial justification part. It's that, mm. it's that whole kind of risk and reward, I suppose, payoff through it, which really flies in the face a little bit about that whole purpose and then profit will follow. But it ultimately ends up like an equalization of opportunity. It brings investment through. It brings, you know, more players who otherwise wouldn't be in that space, who perhaps wouldn't look in that area geographically or culturally or societally and brings them to the table. Yeah, our tagline is, you know, innovate and thrive. Otherwise, the reverse will be true. So we act as agitators in our sector and we challenge them to say, you know, if you have status, if you have the status quo, you are actually going backwards. And that is a bigger risk to you than actually taking some measured or experimental actions that move you. And actually, it's about how you do innovate, how you do develop opportunities. And actually, you can de-risk the whole process in the way that you tackle it. But overall, we see it's positive to have action and to embrace opportunities rather than to flee from them. No, indeed. And so in terms of that leveraging, in terms of skills and expertise, have you seen any interesting examples of partners or clients who've used their expertise to increase the impact of a particular project or initiative? Yeah. So at this stage with the foundation, a lot of what we're doing is partnering with those foundations, but we've not yet squared the circle to bring our, if you like, clients and partners to those particular tables, although I think that time's coming. But I can share examples that we've been involved in as 90. So an example that's involved the Lloyd's market and a number of specialty carriers has actually been in the vaccine space. And this was developed as a as a service pre the COVID pandemic that we've been enduring for the last couple of years. And it was all about the efficacy of medicines in, in their last part of transportation to where they're actually needed, which particularly impacts the developing world. And it's often the lack of transport, storage, refrigeration that actually means the quality of what arrives and therefore the impact of the medicine or whether it can be used is severely impacted as a result of that. And so the whole project was about ensuring that vaccines got to the right place in the right state. And what is now in place in the market is a provision and insurances to, to manage all of those logistics and that service so that what's in, intended and what's created by the pharmaceutical companies has the desired results for those individuals. So that was something where 90 played a small part to help create that. It was not something that was, if you like, directly foundational in that sense. 
but it's something that has, you know, in that broader context and that macro view, the desired effect that 90 would want to be involved in any form. That's fantastic. Again, super interesting. Interesting that you guys are involved in that before the pandemic. And just bring into the really sharp focus, the need for this type of innovation and the need to bring the best minds, if you like, into these sorts of spaces and have people thinking about how they can solve these challenges. And I suppose anything, be it insurance or financial products or, or technology products that will enable that, that will empower that to happen is only a good thing. To me, it's really clear that purpose and impact is really important to you personally, Tom. And um, so can you maybe just tell us, you know, why is that and how does that translate into your role at 90? Sure. So I think by circumstance over time, I've ended up working for more purpose-driven organizations over time. I started my career in utilities, particularly water, electricity, and you say they are necessities in one sense. So everything has value. I then spent a number of years at the co-op group, co-op group being the largest single cooperative in the world. And that cooperative model of one member, one vote, your share of profits is dependent on how much business or trade you do with that organization rather than being an outside shareholder that might not trade or engage with that organization at all. That model worked really well in my mind. And this community orientation as well, UK focus, but this orientation on providing food and other services to localities all across the UK, you know, whether that's the Shetland Isles, the Outer Hebrides that perhaps some other uh, retailers would think it doesn't make economic sense for us to do that. So there's something with purpose there. And then with 90, as I was transitioning through my career, I was quite keen to engage in consulting in a meaningful way and to have that as part of the repertoire of what I'd experienced. So to actually find an organization like 90 that had that consulting backdrop, was working in the sector that I had worked in myself, but actually had this purpose to it, was just yeah, fantastic from my perspective. And certainly in the consulting field, quite, you know, rare as hen's teeth in terms of that as a model versus the, the perhaps more usual models in that space. So that was definitely an attraction for me in terms of moving towards. And I think, as we were talking about earlier, the fact that you can deliver as high quality, if not higher quality work than any other competitor. And we do it on a commercial, you know, for-profit basis. And we're able to take those profits and do something more impactful with them as a result of what we talked about before. It just felt really strong and compelling for me personally, and also means day in, day out, whether it's yeah, a good and joyful day or a difficult and hard day, there is that ultimate purpose that sits underneath it. We work for this sector to help it innovate and thrive, as I say, but with the proceeds, we look to help to alleviate um, global poverty. And so for me personally, it strikes very well with my personal value set, and then as we've recruited and grown the team, it is interesting how there is a harmony and a bond that is created because of those underlying values that actually, you know, when we are recruiting, people self-select and move towards this type of organization and this type of value set. So without it being overly curated in that space, that's how it's happened and that's how it's developed. And I, I think there's a fundamental bond across the team because there is that united purpose that sits underneath it. So what about your role then, Tom, within 90? What is it you do? So I'm one of the partners at 90, and I'm also one of the directors that oversee the business. Day-to-day, -day, my activities span from supporting our internal teams with developing propositions, overseeing live deliveries and activities that we have, and a lot of business development activity, which is engaging with 
both new and existing clients in order to further those relationships. So in those conversations, any of them actually, the, the underlying values and purpose of what we stand for, I, I hope or look to shine through. And because it's so relational, the opportunity to talk about what we're doing, why we're doing it, to get individual thoughts and reflections from clients and colleagues is really powerful. And it does play out a lot in that space. And then I think that's with my partner hat on. And then as being part of the management team and as director of the organization, the opportunity for us to you know, set our targets, to understand where we want to be at points in time, also engaging with the foundation to understand where we're at, where the opportunities lie. And then another dimension I've not mentioned, which is we have an ethics board that actually oversees the way we operate, primarily for us as a management team, but also for the wider colleague base to say, are we holding true to the values set and, and what we say we espouse, both with our colleagues and with our clients? And then also to make the link with the foundation to say that this is an appropriate level of distributable profit to be able to send to the foundation in order to support the activity there. So we look to have a level of transparency in what we do, and then also a level of governance that holds us accountable for what we say we're about. Brilliant. Good stuff. A big thank you to Tom Hardcastle for sharing his insights and experience on how innovation in the insurance sector and beyond can create good in the world. Thank you for joining us for this week's Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way to do business. Join us next time for more interesting discussion on how businesses can bring about change, helping communities, building a fairer society and safeguarding the planet. You can also join in the discussion at www.beautifulbusiness.uk.